Okay, people. Now, today, right, obviously, it's an echo chamber day, but it's something else, right? Because we have hit our 300th episode. 300 episodes, baby. And that's not even counting all the festival editions we've been rolling out. You know what I mean? So we've been, man, we've been going hard. And you know what I mean? We've had two parters. Every now and again, we've hit you with a free parter. But because it's free, Hundred had to do something a little bit different, so we've got a four-parter for you today, people. Four, whoo, sick ep- You know what I mean? Components of this, but before we get to the other three parts, let's hit you with part one, which you know we're bringing you five films as we do. And we're going to start off with the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 2nd to the 4th of February. So last week, right? So at number 10, people, we have got American Fiction. This is from Cord Jefferson, who co-wrote it with Percival Everett. It stars Jeffrey Wright. Tracy Ellis Ross, um, John Ortiz, Erica Alexander, Leslie Uggams, Adam Brody, Isa Ray. You know what I mean? At number nine from London Film Festival last year, it is The Holdovers, right? This is from Alexander Payne, written by David Hemmingson, starring Paul Gamity. Gam, Giammi, Giammi, mm, Paul Giamatti, you know the dude, right? Divine Joy Rudolph, uh, Dominic Sasser, Carrie Preston, Brady Hurtner, Ian Dooley, Jim Kaplan. At number eight, another festival film, it is Paul Things, right? Yorgos Lanthimos's new film, Written by Alexander Gray, based on the Tony McNamara novel of the same name. Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, William Defoe, Rami Yusuf, Jack Barton, Catherine Hunter, Charlie Hizok, Vicky Pepperdine, Christopher Abbott. Boy, it's a good one, people. All right. At number seven is Wonka. Right, Paul King directs and co-writes with Simon Farnaby, Timothy Chalamet, Alola, 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 Oliver Coleman, boy, Hugh Grant, Patterson J, Patterson Joseph, Sally Hawkins, Rowan Atkinson, Keegan Michael Key, all do their thing. So six this week is anybody. Anyone but you. Okay. Will Glock directs, co-writes with Ilana Wolpert, starring Sydney Sweeney, Glenn Powell, Alexander Ship, 
Darren Barnett, Brian Brown, Joy David, Joe Davison. So out five, right at number five, it's the zone of interest. This is from Jonathan Glazer, who co-wrote it with Martin Amis, starring Sandra Hula, Christine Fiddel, Freya Crutchencam, Ralph Herf, Max Beck. Right at number four, all of us strangers, another festival killer. Andrew Haig directs Annie Wright, based on a um, film from Taki Yamanda. Right, stars Adam Andrew Scott, Paul Mascal, Carter John Groot, Jamie Bell, Claire Foy, Amy Trida, Cameron Ashplant. Right at number three is Mean Girls. So it's from Samantha Jane and Aturo Perez Jr. And it stars Angura Rice, John Hamm, Renee Rapp, Tina Fey, Jenna Fisher, Ashley Park, Alil Kravahu, Christopher Brinney, Bussy Phillips, Aquafina. At number two is Argyle. This is the new one from Matthew Vaughan, written by Jason Fuchs. And it stars Sophia Botella, Henry Cavell, Dua Lipa, Bryce Dallas Howard, Arena DeBoss, Sang Rockwell, John Cena, Samuel Jackson, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, Jason Fuchs, Jing Lucy, Rob Delaney. It's a packed cast. But our number one film of the week is Migration. Yeah, it's an animated piece, right? Um, Gulu Homsi and Benjamin Rima direct. Rima also co-writes with Mike White. It's got a voice cast of Camille Namanjeni, Trezi Gazal, Elizabeth Banks, Casper Jennings, Isabella Massard, Danny DeVito, Carol Kane, Aquafina, Keegan Michael Key, David Mitchell, Ozima Akagaga. Right? Oh, she's actually in Marmalade. Interesting. Will Collier, Abby Craden. Yeah, people. There we go. There we go. So that's the top 10. Let's get into this week's films. Okay, so we're starting 300 with the 33rd entry in the MCU. It's the Marvels. Okay, so the Marvels, right? It is now on Disney Plus. Yeah. I've, I've been looking forward to checking this one out for sure, right? It is directed by Nia DaCosta, who co-wrote the film with Megan McDonald and Alisa Karyazic, I think, maybe. Uh, the film is then produced by Kevin Fage. Executive produced by Jonathan Swartz, Mary Livanos, Matthew Jenkins, Louise de Espostio, Jamie Christopher, and Victoria Alonso. 
co-produced by David J. Grant. Laura Karpman handles the music. Sean Bobbitt, cinematography. The editing is Evan Schiff and Katrin Henstrom. Sarah Finn was on casting. Kara Brower, production design. Um, set decoration, we have Jill Aziz, Fergus Clegg, Naomi Moore, and Charlie Wiggett. Costume design is Lindsay Pugh. The art direction, we have Andrew Bennett, Alex Bowens, Tim Browning, Gordon Champ, Ben Collins, Patrick Harris, Chris Howes, Reese Effen, Daniel Kearns, Samuel Leek, Rod McLaren, Nick Palace, Andrew Palmer, Chris Peters, Luke Saunders, Alicia Scales, and Tom Whitehead. So the cast. Well, Brie Larson is back as Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. We've got um, <clears throat> Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury. Now, we have Monica Rambeau jumps into the uh, piece as Tiana Paris. Um, Iman Villani. She's um, coming in as Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel from the TV show. <clears throat> We've got um, Darben, played by Zowie Ashton, um, Emperor Drew Gook, played by Gary Lewis, uh, Prince Yan, played by Park Soo-Jong. Um, got Kamala's um, parents, so we got Zenobi Shroff, who plays Muniba Khan. Yusuf Khan is played by Moan Kapoor, and Amir Khan is played by Sagar Shaki. Um, Maria Rambo. Right, Monica's mother, Lashana Lynch, reprises that role. Tessa Thompson has a little bit as Valkyrie in there. We've got um, Talia, played by Layla Bazard. Um, Dag, played by Abraham Popola. There's also... Um, Tyrone, played by Daniel Ings. Um, doom, doom. Oh, a younger version of Monica, played by Kennedy McCallum Martin. Um, do, do, do. Who else? Oh, yes. Hallie Stensfield as Kate Bishop. Kelsey Grammer as Henry McCoy. Um, yeah, they're the, they're, the, they're the people of note, I would say. 
So the gist, right? Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, has reclaimed her identity from the tyrannical Kree and taken revenge on the supreme intelligence. But unintended consequences see Carol shouldering the burden of a destabilized universe when her duties send her to an anomalous wormhole linked to a Kree revolutionary. Her powers become entangled with that of Jersey City superfan Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, and Carol's estranged niece, now Sabre astronaut, Captain Monica Rambeau. So, yeah. Oh, my days. Now, there was a lot of hate going to this film, but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the film, people. It starts off, and we've got um, Ashton's character, right, on um, a planet. Looks kind of like the moon. I mean, I don't really know what the moon looks like. I've never been. But, you know, it has that kind of look. So the burn, um, you know, she's looking for something, right? And she smashes this thing and has an amulet. Amulet? Gauntlet. I think gauntlet. Wristband. Yes. Wristband. Um, and there's meant to be two, right? And she's like, oh. But you look at this band and you're like, hold on. That looks very much like Kamala's, right? So then we jump and we were Kamala in Jersey. I think we it's like hours earlier, something like that, right? So we're Kamala, and um, you know, she's doing Kamala things, right? <laughs> Just such a crazy fan of um miss marvel captain marvel so there's all of that right she um we then jump and we got monica investigating an anomaly right so all of these different things are going on kamala goes to use her powers and boom now she is where monica would be and we're like what is like Miss Marvel, like Captain Marvel is where Kamala was. So we just got these different odd things going on. You know, it's like the story, I think it's it's a lot of fun. The story is fun because we got, you know, these characters working together to then prevent this big thing that's happened you know, to decree and the ramifications on like the scroll and other people, right? We see that. Yeah, I haven't got around to Secret Invasion, so I don't know all the other ins and outs with the scroll, but they're kind of refugees right here, you know? So we, we just see all of this and how the burn is... She wants to help her people, but to the detriment of everyone else, right? So it's messy. It's proper messy, right? We've got, you know, Carol dealing with 
all the craziness from her past. Monica, like from her mother's death, Carol's abandonment. So there's a lot of things happening there. It all works because of Kamala, right? Just this infectious, you know, enthusiasm that she brings. And it's believable. That's the big thing here, right? In the TV series, she's sold as being this real fan. She's fan fiction. You know, in the comics, it's that too. But she embodies that, right? Just from the way she's standing, the grin on her face, right? The, the, the timbre of her voice, does all of that tells you of her excitement, which not an easy thing to pull off, right? Not an easy thing to pull off, but Imani does a uh, superb job of that. You know, the acting is very good here. You know, we, especially, we got, oh man, the, the whole situation with um, Park Sujon, that is, oh, that was so much fun. That was, like, you're not expecting it, right? You're not expecting it. So all the singing and the dancing, and it's so colorful. <laughs> the carol is not that well. She says she's dancing. It's not good. It's not good, people. So all of this, it just really helps bring this film to life and give it this kind of a different feel from a lot of the other ones, right? We got that. I didn't quite get the whole brain egg thing, but, you know, what we got from that was just, I mean, it was kind of gross, right? But, again, you, you can see the logic in it, but you, you wouldn't want to be in that situation, right? You would not want to be in that situation. You know, I think Kamala's family is fantastic too. Because you buy the bond, right? You buy the bond. And, and I think that's, oh, it adds a magicness to all of this. So as the story goes on, it makes sense, right? What the man is doing. And then it's up to uh, the girls to stop. So all of this, Fury's involvement, it's now, it's in the comics, it's sword. So it's interesting that it's Sabre in the films. But that's, you know, compelling, right? You want to know more about Sabre, right? I think we get enough information. And the other big thing here, obviously, the events spin out of the first Captain Marvel. They spin out of Miss Marvel, the TV show, and the WandaVision. So we have all of that, but you can follow the film, I think, if you haven't seen any of those before. I think you will still be able to enjoy this film, which is very important, right? Very important. The end. 
man, the end was definitely emotional. It was definitely, oh, that made you feel sad, right? Um, and then we got like the 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 very last scene in the film before the credits, which I mean, oh shit, oh shit, like it's a huge setup, but. And it's it's playing on like those early films like Iron Man and Thor and all the, you know Captain America. So it's a little play on those, but just done in a yeah, <laughs> an enjoyable way. But then you just think, okay, so I wonder what team they're looking to set. Right, because there's a few it could be, so I'm definitely intrigued in that front. Definitely intrigued, and then our cut scene in the credits. Boy, I mean that just opens up so many other things as well. So many other things. So there's. There's so much to like about this film. Now, some of the, you know, the CGI effects aren't the best. But for the most part, it's pretty solid, I would say. You know? I mean, I can't see for shit, so maybe you'll think something different. But for me, you know, for the most part, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. As I said, look, the, the acting is great. Like... The, the soundtrack, you know, all of that works very well. And what it then sets up is intriguing. I'm intrigued. So I love what DaCosta did with this. And hopefully they bring her back for some more stuff, right? Hopefully. You know, so yeah. If you haven't seen the Marvels, people, it is definitely worth checking out don't listen to all the hate because it does not it's not a terrible film for sure in my eyes it's not a terrible film so yeah if you enjoy you know the mcu and everything that has come up from it then i'll tell you now the 33rd entry doesn't let things down 33rd entry that's fucking crazy, right? Jeez. The end credits were good. The end credits were real good. I like that way they um did all of those. And, like, we also, when we have the Kamala scenes at the very beginning, like, she's writing in a, heck, I'm not sure if she's writing in a journal or if she's doing some fan fiction, but all the, all the graphics and everything with that was very good, too. So, yeah, the Marvels people it's now on disney so there's no reason not to check it out check it out it was a lot of fun okay the marvels next up is our first film from signature entertainment this week it is which brings me to you people <laughs> yo so signature 
sent me this new joint, right? It is, which brings me to you. The new film from Peter Hutchings. It was written by Keith Boonin. Uh, the film is produced by dum, 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 Claude Dalfara and Brian Keedy. It's executive produced by Chad Agina, Dina Bacon, Randall J. Bacon, uh, Richard Brown, Sarah Castillo, David Gendron, Lucy Hale, Damon Hillen, Ali Jazari, Ayu Kepermat, Kent Sanderson, Nate Wolf, and Viviana Zaragota, with line production from Michael E. Brown. Spencer David Hutchins handles the music, Karina Silver cinematography, Jason Nicholson edits the piece, Alison Estrin is on casting duties, Adri Silwat was production design, set decoration is Teresa Strebler, Carissa Kelly handled costume design, Hair and makeup, we've got Cynthia Vanis, Scott Hirsch, and Valerie Carney. So the cast, well, we have got Lucy Hale as Jane. Nate Wolf is Will. John Gallagher Jr. is Wallace. Ward Horton is Mark. Alexander Hodge is Eaton. Um, we've got Michael, played by Chase Liefeld. Then there's Jody, played by Erin Ruth Walker. Uh, Justine, played by Mitzi Acker. Gloria, played by Laura Kai Chen. Olivia, played by... Marceline Hugot, Audrey, played by Bratine Oldford, Eve, played by Genevieve Angelson. There's also um, Eddie, played by Michael Mulhern, Charlotte, played by Avery Cole, um, Noah, played by Frederico Rodriguez, Todd, played by Riley Walters, Kit, played by Nancy Meyer, uh, Andre, played by Marcus Brandon, Erica, played by Jamie McRae, Amanda, played by Bria Condon, um, Juliet, is played by Kenzie Gray. Right, we've got um, Jerome, played by Ted Dacey. Uh, Nadine, played by Katie Lynn Johnson. Marie, played by Emily Bat Batista. 
Um, the groom played by Brian Enrich. Uh, yeah, I think. Oh, the lift driver at the end is played by Shannon O'Neill. All right, I think that's basically it. Now, the gist of the story is this. Two romantic burnouts meet at a wedding and almost hook up in the coach room before putting the brakes on. They agree to exchange candid confessions about their past on the off chance that this might be the real thing. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't say that's true at all. Like, this is classified as a romantic comedy. It's not. Right? I, I, this isn't a romantic comedy. This isn't a comedy. Right? This is a... And this isn't a story about two romantic burnouts. Right, which makes it sound like it's just these two people just hopeless in love and they just oh, just bad luck. And uh, no, this is a story about two atrocious people, right? That's what this is. If we're being real, which is fine, just packages as it is, right? It's an odd thing to try and claim something is something else, right? Now, if I had known this was written by Peter Hutchins, right, I, I think that would have, uh, you know, just how I wouldn't have watched it, right, is because I always try and watch everything people send me, you know what I mean? But I, I probably would have at least had a better understanding going in. Because Peter Hutchins, he directed The Hating Game, right? He directed, um, oh, God, what was that other film which I really hated? <laughs> I mean, there's so many. Uh, well, he wrote, should I say, Can You Keep a Secret? Which, ugh, I hated. <laughs> Right, so I'm, you know, I think Then Came You, which is another atrocious film I unfortunately have seen, and I say atrocious film, I just say a film that isn't for me, right, I mean, this style of romance film is like it's candy-coated, Right, even people that do horrible things, those are never held up as really being horrible things. You know what I mean? When they should be, right? They should be. Because this is just two people that they're old. I mean, they're old. They're in their 30s, you know. But they act like they're 10, right, they're, they're just doing these just shitty things, and they're doing these shitty things, right, there's one bit when, because for whatever reason, they decide to tell each other, like, their past sexual experiences, weird, right, now, it's all over, because 
they're in a, a cafe eating and she's just like oh can i have your bit of pie because he's not eating it and he's like yeah and she's he told her a story and she's just like i'm not telling you that and then he's like oh i'll take the pie back i'm just like firstly you just gave the pie right so someone be like no you just gave it you can't take it back because it's no longer yours the minute you say this is yours means it's no longer yours you've just given your rights away on that thing so just the you know what I mean? The, the breadcrumbs which this is built on is just shaky as a motherfucker, right? It's all over the place, you know what I mean? The other thing, you don't have to tell, right? You could just make up shit. You can just make up anything. Right, just like the things people tell, it's not necessarily true, right? So it is this, and we get just this <sighs> stream of stories of them being shitholes, right? He walks out on a girl, I mean, walks out on her, she's asleep. Right. And he doesn't say bye. He doesn't say I'm this is where I'm going. He doesn't do anything. And she's just like, oh, I mean, she should have known. She's like, what the fuck are you saying? She should have known. Like the whole situation was weird, but to be like, oh, they should have known. No. Listen, right? You can like someone, you can love someone but you don't have to agree with everything they say, right? You can go, mm, I wouldn't have done that, right? And you're not, you don't have to be like, you're an awful person, but you could just be like, yeah, I, I don't really do things like that. I would have probably done this, but you know, it, that was 20 years ago. So what the fuck, who cares? You know what I mean? Right, there's another bit when something is said which happened three months ago, supposedly. So there's just this host of things. And you're just like, okay, clearly neither of you have grown, neither of you have changed, but we're meant to believe that you might from a few conversations in one day. Hmm. Hmm. Right? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just... It's stupid. From my point of view, I will say. It is stupid. You know what I mean? It's like the acting is fine but that's all you can say it's not lighting anything on fire right even like the emotions are the the bare minimal that you would expect you know a tear doesn't necessarily you know 
show that you're really that sad. You have to throw more into it. And everything is just kind of surface level, it felt. You know? Like, I wanted to see the real emotions. Right? Because if certain of these events really happened, you'd be fucked up. You, 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 you're not just going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, that happened. No, you're going to be cut up like a motherfucker. You know what I mean? And that's what never makes sense about these films, right? It, it, it's never a depiction of what love actually is. It, it feels like it's written by people that have never actually experienced it. Right, it's a postcard version of, right? It's a dream scenario because every one these people talk to, every single person wants to get down, right? There's never a, <laughs> do you really think that's gonna work? No, 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 no. Like, I don't know you like that. What are you expecting? Or just like, nah, you're not my type, right? But every single person wants to bang them, right? Everyone's going, oh, you're so pretty. Oh, you're so handsome. Like, no one is, right? Even someone who you might think is so attractive, there's going to be a whole load of people who do not feel that way. But in these type of films, the, the main characters are just the best, right? And everyone wants them. It's insane. It's insane. It, it's just throwing up these weird notions of relationships and love and compassion and empathy. You know what I mean? That's my issue with these films, right? I want reality. Show me that. Give me that. That can be entertaining, right? That, that, that That's not necessarily a down or anything like that. That can be real. And I bring it up all the time, but the before trilogy from Richard Linklater, right? That gives you a, a better look at what a relationship should be. You know what I mean? That's it. So stop with these, you know what I mean? Paper thin, candy floss notions. There's, for all of a sudden, there's a bit when they sing, and it's just like, why are we doing this? Like, we don't need this. Like, please do not sing. Please. If you get into the sea, your clothes should be wet. The clothes aren't wet. How the fuck are you drying off that quickly? It's, it's fucking insane. I, it's insane. You know? And then this last bit, the last bit of the film, right, with this revelation, it's just like, listen, if that's the thing, and you really do, you know what I mean? You'd be talking about it. You're not hiding it. You're not hiding it like that. 
it, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre thing. Right? But people, people, people. If you loved, you know, those other films, right? If you loved the hating game, right? If you loved Can I Keep a Secret, right? The Outcast, then came you, right? If you love stuff like, um, oh my days, like we have looked at a lot of ropey <laughs> rom-coms, haven't we, on this, man? We we really have, you know? <laughs> you know, like someone like you, oh my gosh, oh, there's so many just ropey, ropey films, right? I, I, you know, just pick, pick one. Right, if those are the films that you like, right? Remember stuff like um, New Year's Eve, right? Valentine's Day, those Neil Marshall films, right? If that kind of jam is your thing, people, then I will say, which brings me to you, you're going to dig it. You're going to dig it. Okay? So, this will be dropping on the 12th of February. So, yeah. Fill your boots, people. Have fun. Hey, maybe you and your significant other, the person in your life, will watch it for Valentine's Day. Yeah. There you go. There you go. All right? But it's not really love, right? It's not intergalactic. It's not love, Jones. Love and basketball before sunrise. It's not, it's not one of those. But it could be for you. So, which brings me to you, 12th of Feb. And our second signature joint is Marmalade. Okay, so Signature just hit me with this new joint called Marmalade, right? It is written and directed by Keir O'Donnell, right? It's actually his feature directorial debut. The film is produced by Sarah Gabriel, Mark Goldberg, James Harris, Mark Lane, and Jason Shapiro. It's executive produced by David Sullivan and line produced by Brianna Lee Johnson. Brooke Blair and Will Blair handled music, Polly Morgan is on cinematography. Stuart Reeves edits the piece. Mark Bennett casting duties with Katie Fleming production design. Sally Baker set decoration. Megan Spatz costume design. Hair and makeup. Brenda Torre, Laura Ahart, and Natalie A. 
Hale. So outcast. We've got Baron, played by Joe Keery. Marmalade is played by Camellia Maroon. Otis is played by Adius Hodge. Right. We then have got... Um, what is this? So we've got Officer Cambio is played by Hans Christian. Right, now, it's one thing that's really just rude as fuck, frankly, right? Because on IMBD, Detective Gray is not listed, right? And Ozima Akega plays Detective Gray, right? Detective Gray is a large part of the fucking film. So it's insane she isn't even on the fucking IMBD, right? She's in it as much as fucking Hans Christopher, right? That's just straight rude, frankly. Anyway, right, our other casts, Don Frickle is played by Wayne Duvall, right? We've got... Um, do, 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 do. Chief Dixon is played by Andrew E. Wheeler. We have got the stepmother played by Beaver Steinberg. All right, we have got actually, I should just go back here. We have got Mama Ida played by Amy Warner. Uh, Miss Jennings is played by Soon Soon Brava. Sandy is played by James Hamill. Um, we've got Gary played by Jim Lightshidal. We've got the checkpoint officer played by Toussaint Morrison. Right, the un the uniform cop played by Justin Jones. The pharmacist played by Kevin Loki. Uh, talent agent played by Dane Stufa. All right, let's see who else we have. Um, one of the prison, the prisoners are played by Emilio Medina, Larry Widra, um, Doy Whitmore, uh, and Chad David. Got another FBI agent played by Ernest Howard. Um, yeah, that. Oh, Stephen Haig is another FBI agent. And the actresses, yeah, we've done that one. Okay. So, um, the gist of the story is this. Is this. Right, it centers around a recently incarcerated baron who strikes up a friendship with cellmate Otis, a man with a well versed history of prison breaks. As the pair hatch an escape plan together, Baron recalls the story of how he met Marmalade, the love of his life, 
and their Bonnie and Clyde style scheme to rob a bank in order to care for his sick mother and give the couple the life they've dreamed of. So, as I mentioned, right, it is Kier's feature director debut. He's got a director's statement. It reads, I've always been captivated by unique films of the late 80s, 90s that had an eccentricity while maintaining a meld of style and substance. True romance, Edward Scissorhands and Raising Arizona are among those vibrant influences that have form my creative aesthetic. As an actor, I've always researched for roles that showcase range, the ultimate illusion. As an artist in general, I'm drawn to themes of perception and perspective, exploring the actions of a character, but also how they are viewed through the lens of others. I wanted to play into certain characterizations and tropes then flip them upside down. As a writer, I wrote Marmalade to encapsulate the films that inspired my artistic compass, but also to create characters that would control, would contain challenging dualities. I also loved the manipulative and mischievous nature of a play within a play. As a director, my goal was to make the story feel like a daydream, a heightened reality, almost as if you're retold the story so many times that it has become a fantastical yarn in your own mind. It's a playful and waggish fable, a whimsical folk tale. It truly is my homage to the films and performances that have shaped who I am creatively. So, you know, I think this is interesting because the thing that just jumps to mind while watching this film is most definitely true romance, right? That, I think, is the big one here. True, well, there's another one as well. But I feel if I say it, it might give it away to you, right? So I'm not going to say the other film, but it stars someone that got himself in a little bit of trouble a few years back. Let's just say that, right? Now, I've, I've, there's definitely a style to this film. Definitely a style to this film. And... You know, I don't, I wouldn't say that it feels like a dream or anything like that. The, you could say there's a whimsical nature to the Baron character. But Joe Keery's accent is just so fucking annoying. It is so grating. That, that's a big problem. You know, because I think you lose some of the dialogue um, because of the weird accent. But, you know, it's it's kind of like when you're watching the film at the beginning, you clearly see where everything is going. So I was very relieved when the direction shifts. 
I was very relieved about that, right? So the thing being, now you, you've got this understanding of what we are watching, but you also know how it's probably going to play out because it can't go the way in which it wants to go, right? The way it's kind of set up to, well, let's just say the characters are looking for it to go. You know it can't go that way. So then it's just a case of how do we extricate ourselves from these predicaments, right? Where how do we take the characters to these different places? So I thought that was going to be the, the real interesting thing. Now, I see what he's done, right? I, I, I clearly see what he's done. And it's okay. It's not bad. It's not bad, right? For the first feature... Right, Kia's taken some big swings, and you know he's he's come close, kind of, right? But I, 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 for me, it wasn't a false, you know, it wasn't a home run, right? And I think some of the issue is the timescales, right? It's the timescales. That's the that's the big issues because you're like, this can't happen within those timescales. There's no way, like, yeah, just any of this happens. You know what I mean? It it, it doesn't like the whole just the whole prison thing can't happen. Right, the stuff that's going on within the prison can't happen. Like none of it, you couldn't pull any of that stuff together within that time. Right? You also the other big thing being is the the thing going on in the prison. Right? That's not gonna happen because of what we see in the fire, in the chimney, right? The newspaper clipping. It can't happen because of that, right? Which they would know of, right? They would know that was there. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, not saying they know about the chimney, right? Though, You'd think that's a that's somewhere that's getting looked at straight away. So that's kind of like okay. But what I mean is they would know about the thing that my man's looking at. So it is it, is so the prison thing doesn't necessarily make any sense. That's the whole problem, right? And you know, in the press kit. There is a, you know, just a, a written interview with Kia. Now, I will say, ugh, I had a quick look at the interview and the questions are horrible. <laughs> the questions are horrible, right? I will say the questions are horrible, right? Just because, right, he wrote and directed the film. They know he wrote and directed the film. The first question, what attracted you to working on Marmalade? Now, that's a weirdly structured 
question because he wrote it. So it, it would be like, how did you come up with the concept for Marmalade? But what attracted you to working on Marmalade feels like you mean you were handed a script. It makes no sense. But, right, the next question is, can you describe the process you went through to prepare for Marmalade? Right, and he says, um, wait, was that the question? Uh, 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 uh. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a lot of planning to pull off the stylized quality we wanted. I knew it would be challenging, and as always, there would be compromises and changes as we started production. Uh, that wasn't the bit. Oh, no, that was... The yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Right. He says the rewrites were quite brutal because the whole thing is built as a house of cards. If you pull out one piece, it could all come tumbling down. Right. So we, we know this. Right. We know it's built on the House of Cards. Right. When you think about the films that, are, you know, kids inspirations. It's that. So that's the problem. Like some of these pieces for our house don't fit. Don't fit. We're, we're trying to get a triangle into a circle space. It doesn't quite fit. And it's definitely a tough thing, right? When you're trying to make something like this and make everything work, it's difficult. Not everyone can do it, right? When you think about stuff like Blonde Purple, Inside Man, right? When you think about that incredible episode of Doctor Who with David Tennant and Matt Smith, written by... Mark Gate was it Mark Gatiss? I think it's Mark Gatiss, right? Um, coupling and all of them things, right? So smart, so smart, right? And then there's this other film which I cannot mention because it will give too much away. Smart Memento, another one. It is it's very difficult to do, right? So I commend Keir for taking those swings. It, it, it just doesn't quite add up, though. Doesn't quite add up. You know, which is a shame. It is a shame. But, yeah, if you like a crime jaunt, right, if you enjoy that, if you enjoy a story of some, you know, twists and turns, a little unpredictable, you know, the, as I said, it's you can see where it's going, right? But it could, you know, it could fill that itch for you. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we have got marmalade people. Marmalade, which will be hitting, I think it's hitting cinemas right, and VODs in the States on the 9th of February, 
And in the UK, it's hitting digital on the 12th of February. Yeah, because I see two dates flying around. So that's the only way it can make sense, right? So the 9th in the States, 12th in the UK. You can get your hands on a little mama lid if that tickles your bell. That's not the expression, is it? But you know what I mean, people. You know what I mean. Go get some marmalade. Now, thanks to Lionsgate, I got to check out the Iron Claw so I could talk about it for you. Here we go. Okay, so thanks to the people at Lionsgate, just back from a screening of The Iron Claw, right? Oh, man, this was definitely an interesting one, right? It's written and directed by Sean Durkin, okay? The film is produced by Durkin, along with Juliet Howell, uh, Angus Lamont, Tessa Rose, and Darren Schuslinger. It's executive produced by Eva Yates, Harrison Huffman, Maxwell Friedman, Danny Cohen, and Len Blavenick. Richard Reed Parry handled the music. Matthias Erdely, cinematography. Matthew Hannam edits the piece. Susan Shopmaker was on casting duties. James Price, production design. Art direction is Sammy Walschliger. Tim Cohn is set decoration. Jennifer Starrick, costume design. Hair and makeup, we've got Crystal Woodford. Natalie Shea Rose. Courtney Lever, Ashley Kent, El Favarul, and Dala Edin. Okay, so the cast. Well, you know, it's all centering around the Von Erichs, right? So Fitz Von Erich is played by Holt McColney. Uh, we've then got... Dum, dum, dum. Where, 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 where. His wife, Doris, played by Maura Tierney, um, and his sons. So at the very start, right, we, we see two young kids, Kevin and David. So young Kevin is played by Grady Wilson. Young David is played by Valentine Newcomer. Now, the older Kevin is played by Zach Efron. Older Dave, David is played by Harris Dickinson. Um, then the other brothers, right? So there's um, Mike, played by Stanley Simmons. And Kerry. Right? So Kerry is played by Jeremy Allen White. Okay, we have got um, ba, 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 ba. 
who else was Pam? Hmm. Well, okay, I can get that here. Pam is played by Lily James, Pam Adkisson, right? She marries um, Kevin. We have got, uh, oh, Jack Jr. is also uh, a Von Eric, played by Romeo Newcomer. Uh, we have Marshall um, and Ross, right? Marshall Atkinson is played by Sam Franich. Ross is played by Leo Franich. We have Ric Flair, played by Aaron Dean Eisenberger. Um, there's Harley Race, played by Kevin Anton. Uh, we've got Michael Hayes, played by Brady Pierce. Uh, the other members of the Fabulous Freebirds, played by Michael Proctor, Silas Mason, and Dean Imbragulio. Uh, the referee from the Sportatorium, played by James Beard. The teller, played by Christina Kingston. Um, another Sportatorium referee, played by Brian Height. Uh, we have got the Olympic coach, played by Michael Papajan. Um, Gino Hernandez, played by Ryan Nemeth. Uh, Bruiser Brody, played by Cassie Louise Segahino. Uh, Bill Mercer, played by Michael Harney. Yeah, that's uh, Garrett Hammond is another Sportorium referee. Oh, the Sheik, played by Chavo Guerrero Jr., right? Scott Inns is the ring announcer. Man, it's crazy. All right, so the gist of the film, the, it's the true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 80s through tragedy and triumph. Under the shadow of their domineering father and coach, the brothers seek larger-than-life immortality on the biggest stage in sports. So, yeah, this was, like, I knew the name Von Erich, you know what I mean? But I didn't know this whole story. I did not know this whole story, man. Like, because when I was watching, you know, World Wrestling Federation as a kid, it was a Texas tornado, right, who's Kerry Von Erich. But. I had no clue, no clue whatsoever what Kerry was dealing with, you know? I just remember there was a point that you then found out he killed himself, you know what I mean? It was just like, wait, what? What happened? Because, you know, he, he was um, the intercontinental champion. I think he might have been a tag team champion at one point. But 
the Texas Tornado was a fun character. A lot of running. A lot of running. Which is then crazy to what you find out. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's all this other stuff that you just have no clue about. And it's fascinating. Right? We open up with, a, a we see a ring. And we pull back all back and it's this, this empty auditorium it's in black and white right and then we've got this rousing rousing music right and then we see like some fight footage and then we pull out even more and we're into this fight so we see Fitz von Eric in his day right and he wins the fight with the iron claw <laughs> Oh, shit. So then when he's finished, he goes out in, you know, the wife's there with his two sons, these two little kids. And, um, yeah, so we see all of this and, you know, they got, he's got a new car, right? And he's like, oh, you know, to be the part, you've got to look like the part, right? Look like the part to become the bigger part, which is something you heard Ric Flair talk about on uh jre right and you've heard a lot of the other like you know ddp and a lot of these other cats you know hogan you know just all talk about this stuff so it's just like oh shit dan we're, we're kind of seeing some of the stuff we've heard about you know what i mean so then from there we we transition to color and kevin and david are now older right they're now older. There's another couple of kids as well. So, you know, there's four of these Von Eric's kids. And they're like, oh, working out and everything apart from Michael, who really just wants to become a musician. Doesn't want to wrestle, wants to be a musician. But we get to see everything that's happening. This, this whole kind of family story. You know, and it's, they talk about this Von Eric curse, which you just think is goofy, right? I mean, like, no, these curses aren't real. Curses, like, what are you afraid you doing? But when we see all the things that happen, you're like, oh, fuck, maybe curses are a thing, right? Because it's kind of unrelenting with some of the things that we see, you know? It's like, yo, oh my God, it's dark, it gets dark. So that's all we're like rough and crazy. But man, this film, it, it really does a great job of tying you into the era, right? With the music used, the filters, all of this stuff, like the the costs, you know, the, the the clothes and everything like that, it just screams like eighties, eighties, early nineties, all of that stuff, man. It, it's it's great, and there's things that you remember, be like, oh shit, because you remember the U.S. pulling out of the Moscow Olympics, but you forget what that then means to the athletes, right? I think you, I mean, you understand, oh man, they trained all these years and now they can't do their thing, 
right? Or uh, that the money and just all of this, but you don't necessarily see the granular impact, right? What it actually has on the individual. Because Kerry was training to be um, the uh, the disc, right? Disc. I feel that's what it's called, right? The disc. Um, but yeah, that's what he's he's his thing, right? And because of that, he couldn't couldn't compete. So you have just all of these things going down, and it's just whew, right, but it's all fueled by fits because he wasn't the world champion, right? So he just always wanted that always wanted more success than he ever had. And he was successful. So he's just pushing the kids to be this thing. And we see all of that. That is very evident, right? That's all done very well. You know, don't comfort them. We don't cry. We do this, blah, blah, blah. At a funeral, I don't want to see you cry. And it's just like, wait, what? What kind of craziness is this? You know, and Doris doesn't really do anything to help. It's that era, right, where, oh, the husband rules the house. You know, you have to listen. You know, it's all of that kind of stuff. So it, all of this is very clear. It's all very evident. And we see the pain. We see everything. There's certain things which I've I felt, ah, I feel we could have done more with that, right? I mean, just how Kerry felt about not getting to the Olympics, you know, about his first big win, you know what I mean? Just, um, yeah, that. It, it, it's not really made a big deal out of. You know, and then the 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 whole WWF stuff, not really, you know, and you just think there must be something there. Must be something there. Even we do see a little bit of the whole CTE pain situation with Kerry. There's a flash scene, but yeah, a, a bit more. I think would have really drummed home everything. I mean, I I do feel we get it as a viewer, but I just thought it could have been a little bit more, you know? And just the same with some of the other incidents that are going down. Even Kevin, right? Because we do see some stuff, right? You get it. But I just thought mm, some of that stuff could have been really harder hitting, you know, I do feel it does hit you on an emotional note, especially there's a, a nice little bit at the end with Kevin and his kids, right, that was a real nice little scene, but you just think that was, like, it hits you on an emotional level for sure, but there is another, you know, degree which it could have gone to, but it seems to kind of veer away from, which you can kind of understand, right? Because there was so much tragedy and Kevin's still alive, right? 
So there's so much stuff, and you just think, ah, oh, yeah. I, I I imagine you what you, you know because it was so crazy. You want to be kind of sensitive around it all, but yeah, you, you just want that little bit more. That little bit more would have really elevated this film to that next level. I enjoyed it, but I just thought it could have, you know, because you have the rest. If you remember the wrestler Mickey Rourke, boy. Oh my god, how how crazy was that, right? Emotionally. This doesn't quite get there. You know, it skirts close at times, you know, close at times, but doesn't quite get there. But it is great seeing a lot of the things that you've heard about, but you know, never saw. You know, I, I did think that uh, Ric Flair, Harley Race, they did, they were close. They were close. Rick doesn't sound, you know, didn't sound anything, you know, but look-wise, it was pretty close. They did a great job visually with the film. And the fight choreography was good, too. That, they, that they sold you very well on all of that. So it's a good watch. You just wanted it just to be that little bit more. But, yeah, if you're a fan of, you know, films like The Wrestler, Rocky, you know what I mean? The Fighter, just all of those things. You know, if you're a fan of wrestling, if you grew up watching wrestling in the 80s, early 90s like me, you're going to find this fascinating. You will do. So it's, you know, I know you US cats have already seen it, but it's dropping, um, I think it's the 9th of February, right? So that's when us on this side of the pond get to watch this crazy story of the Von Eriks. So people, go check out The Iron Claw. Though The Iron Claw is a goofy-ass wrestling move. One of the goofiest, man. It, it's it, like, what is that? <laughs> but yeah, the Iron Claw people. And we're going to end on this one, which is hitting IMAXs around the world. It's Fungi Web of Life. Well, people, I will say it's been a real pleasure, right? Just connecting with the BFI because I've I've seen some really interesting films, and today's is no different, right? I got the opportunity to go check out Fungi, the Web of Life. Right, it is directed by Gisela Kaufman, Mike Slee, and Joseph Nizetti. Nizetti also co-writes the film with Paul Phelan and Catherine Marciniak. Right, it is produced by David Gross, Joanne McGowan, Sarah Noonan, and Jennifer Pedum. It's executive produced by Stephen Axford, 
Phil Hunt and Catherine Marciniak. Piers Burbrook Devere handled the music. Cam Batten cinematography. Paul Phelan edits the piece. Right, we got visual effects from Gabrielle Joyston, Jeremy Nicolaides, Louise Nikolovsky, and Callum Reynolds. Okay, and everything is narrated by Bjork. Yes, Bjork. Right. So the the gist. Right, the gist of the whole thing is this. Much of life on Earth is connected by a vast hidden network that we were only just beginning to understand. Out of sight, between the world of plants and animals, another world exists, the kingdom of fungi. Through the eyes of passionate biologist and writer Merlin Sheldrake, Join us on this brilliant round-the-world journey into the secret world of fungi through dazzling images of fungi under the microscope and all around us in the forest. Merlin unravels the many secrets of these essential organisms in the web of life. So much more than mushrooms. Not only do fungi shape the weather and support life on land, they are at the cutting edge of medical research and even have the power to break down plastic waste. Narrator and iconic artist Bjork takes us from the ancient Tasmanian Tarkin rainforest to the mystical wilds of China's Yunnan province in search of solutions to some of our planet's biggest challenges. Can the answers be found in the wonderful world of fungi, right? Which is fascinating. It really is fascinating, people. Because I think there's things that you might know and things you don't, right? Like the majority of fungi is underground, you know? And most fungi isn't mushroom. It's just like, yo, it's crazy. There's 90 um, iluescent, oh, I might have said that wrong, uh, glow-in-the-dark mushrooms, right? It's crazy. So we got a director's statement, and it's this. The living world is connected by a hidden kingdom of life we're just beginning to understand. So goes the first line of our film, Fungi Web of Life, a journey into the surprising ways fungi interconnect nature and the incredible opportunities they offer to humanity. If we were able to conserve and protect them, it was a gift to be able to explore fungi at a critical moment when the topic was breaking out across our culture. Every other day, we seem to see another book, article, or news story pop up about their revolutionary possibilities in science, medicine, and industry, discovering the hidden kingdom of fungi fundamentally changed the way I think about nature. 
and as a lifelong nature lover that came as a very big shock beginning the research for this film a little over two years ago I was amazed that humble mushrooms could hide so many secrets. More importantly, though, fungi slowly forced me to reconsider what it really means to be part of an ecosystem, to be embedded in the web of life. By learning about fungi, I began to understand not only where so many of our foods and medicines come from, but where plant life itself came from and how forests exist at all. The guide on our journey is the biologist and writer Merlin Sheldrake. Merlin opened my eyes as he is for so many others to an entirely different way of thinking about fungi. Collaborating with Merlin has been an absolute joy. He continues to surprise us with his sense of wonder and imagination when talking about nature and remains at the forefront of pushing forward public awareness and scientific understanding around fungi. Through some synchronicity with her latest album, Forosa, we were able to we also able to approach Bjork to narrate the film. Not only is Bjork one of the most important artists of her generation, her passion and knowledge about the topic was palpable as we recorded her voice, a passion I'm sure will be infectious for audiences. Collaborating with the visual minds behind the film was also a thrill. The jaw-dropping mushroom time-lapse photography of Steve Axford and Catherine Marciniak of Planet Fungi is the visual centerpiece of our film. Each of these difficult-to-capture shots condensed hours or days of mushrooms growth into a handful of seconds, bringing mushrooms vividly to life on the giant screen, enhanced by the spellbinding sound design of Liam Egan. Each of these shots is like a fireworks display of color, an innovation to imagination and wonder. Likewise, the microscopic time-lapse photography of Wynne van Egmond enabled us to tell the story of fungi at the microscopic scale. Beginning with a single spore, Wynne brings an incredible eye and great taste to his work which enabled us to tell a story in the macro world, which was visually thrilling, as well as scientifically rigorous. Through Wim's work, we can appreciate firsthand the beauty and mystery of fungi in all their forms. Collaborating with Columbus VFX to tell the story of the wood wide web enabled us to go even further in bringing and enhancing mysteries of fungal life to the giant screen. I'd also like to thank the cinematographer Cam Betton, editor Paul Phelan, composer Piers Burbock de Vere, and Gisela Kaufman, who each contributed to so much to the beauty, emotion, and ideas of the project. Last but certainly not least, 
I'd like to thank the legendary post-production team of Technical Wizards at Definition Studios, Tamita Kuhu and Scott Koppelhuber, who put in untold hours of effort making every shot in these IMAX films look gorgeous in 2D and 3D. So yeah, this is an IMAX release, right? Now, I can't see 3D, but I, I brought along the great Daniel Glenn Barber, and he told me that it looks stunning. It looks stunning, right? Just the colors were crazy. Like the way they 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 brought this to life, like you'd see Merlin walk through a forest, and as the camera kind of panned out, we saw like you know it kind of gave us a cross section of um, the earth, and we saw the roots all lit up, and then like uh, the lifeblood of the trees, the fungi in the trees, all illuminated and everything like that. So it it looked incredible. And then the night shots, we see the, you know, iridescent um, fungi and mushrooms just lighting everything up. So, yeah, visually. And also, yo, some of these scientists work in incredible buildings. Like, incredible buildings, people, right? We, um, we travel all over the place. You know, we go to the um, the rainforest in uh, Tarkeen in Australia, Byron Bay, the Yunnan province in China. And that research facility was insane. Right. We um, there's a magical mushroom company um, evocative right in the States and the Royal Botanical Gardens of Kew which I love Q, Q is just, but as soon, right, because the camera's like, we've got a drone shot coming in at Q, and the minute you see a little glimpse, you know where it is, right, you sit and be like, that's Q, right, which I'm like, why are we going to Q, right, so then you find out that Q has, well, it's at the heart of um, this whole research, which was, yeah, it's just straight fascinating. Like, they've got a million mushrooms and fungi, right, that they, they, they research and look at, and, which is just, I think you go to Q and, you, you know, you mainly see all the flowers and all stuff like that. Now, they, they, they do have, you know, fungi and, you know, cacti and just all of this stuff, but it's majority of flowers. So it's just fascinating to know that they're at the heart of all of this, right? So we, we just learn about, and I had forgotten, I ain't going to lie, I'd forgotten that penicillin was fungi, right? That that it was an accident how they discovered that. So then when you remember and it gets mentioned, you're like, oh, fuck, yeah. So there's all this medical research that's going into it, right? And we know that mushrooms are 
I think very important when it comes to certain like medical kind of research with like PTSD, um, you know, addiction therapy. There's so many different things that mushrooms have been utilized for and are being looked into, right? So, yeah, it's, man, it just blows your mind, right? Now, there's other things which you don't even think about, right? So the company Evocative in the States, they are using mushrooms and fungi as a, a new resource, right? Because we know plastics aren't good. So it was just like, you know, ways of, of creating a kind of a polystyrene material that's super strong, but decomposes, right? And they're, they're just showing all these different things that they're making out of fungi and mushroom, which was just like, <laughs> I'd never even thought about it. Right, we learn that fungi impacts rain, right? It, it creates rain. I didn't know that. I did not know that. That was just like, what? So we learn so much in this documentary. It's 40 minutes, but you are hit with so much information. It's fantastic. There are some things that I'd learned from podcasts, right? Like Joe Rogan experience. He's, he speak to um, many different researchers and scientists. And so you learn some different things, right? The whole web system, right? That everything is connected by this root kind of ecosystem, which, which is insane the way it talks to each other and they utilize each other to survive and live. You know, 90% of plants need fungi to survive. Didn't know that. Incredible, right? Incredible. So we get all of this information, this visual experience, which is just stunning. And I'll say this too. Like, Bjork as a narrator is great, right? But the way Bjork and Merlin's voices complement each other really do add to this experience, right? Because I think sometimes in films and documentaries and all of this jazz, right, you have narrators and the voice can be very irritating, it's not a great voice, right? And sometimes scientists, fascinating people, fascinating people, but the voice, right, the delivery, not always the best. But this, man, it was great. Now, I did think it was a shame that we didn't really speak to any indigenous peoples, right? Because when you do and you learn about, you know, the fact that they've been using th these, uh, you know, plants for millennium, 
you know, well, they would probably say decades. Millennium is probably, you know, what records? Uh, decades. You know, they've been using them throughout, right, To as medicines and, you know, different things like that. So I think that would have really been another interesting element to this. I think it would have added extra depth. But what we do get is good, is really good. So, you know, it, it, it's playing at the BFI, um, at their IMAX facility, which is so... Like, I haven't been to the IMAX for a little bit, and you forget get right so i just walking into that screen and it's just like oh my god this is so fucking big so big right uh so yeah you get this incredible experience and as i said look i can't see 3d but i was told really nice really nice and immersive so if you get the opportunity i highly recommend you go check out fungi web of life is yeah so much right and i did like the fact that we it's not just in one country we we go all over the place so you're learning all of this different stuff and how these different countries are you know looking at it and exploring it so yes um there'll be a link on the website right, in the, the whole fungi web of life, information on booking tickets and all of that, so definitely, people, go check it out, you'll not be disappointed, yeah, enlighten your mind with fungi web of life. <laughs> Okay, so before we hit the end of part one, right, of this week's Echo Chamber, let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of films, right? So there is a new film coming um, called A Big, Bold, Beautiful Journey, right? This is from director Koganda written by Seth Reese, you know, and it will be starring Margaret Robbie and Colin Farrell, right? There are no um, real details on the story, just two people going on a trip that will change their lives, okay? Two other people teaming up are Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan, right, who have worked together before, their new film is called 12-12-12, indeed, right, Harry Skogland is um, directing it, and it will be written by Jim Keeble and Doody Appleton, so, uh, yeah, that could be interesting. Um, The Evil Dead, right, is getting a new entry, this time from filmmaker Sebastian Vanek, right, um, you know, obviously it's coming from Ghost House, right, 
no real word on what this will be, you know, like, uh, yeah, what the story is, will it tie into Rise of the Living Dead, you know, nothing like that, just, uh, um, yeah, the neck is doing this, so, um, yeah, he will be co-writing the script, but we don't know who with. That's all we can give you, people. But, you know, fans of horror, I'm sure, are going to be happy. Another horror coming will be Saw 11. Interesting, because I thought Saw 10 was being sold as the last. But, no, Saw 11 is coming. And Kevin Grutert is back directing. Okay? So, um... Yeah, all we kind of know is Tobin Bell is coming back as John Kramer, right? Nothing else. So, yeah. I don't know, people, if you enjoyed the last, then eh, there you go. Another one is coming, right? Now, um, Alex Garland has got a film coming shortly from A24 called Civil War. And it looks like another one is planned with a lot of the same team, right? So he's working with um, Charles Melton, right? Um, yeah, he's, he's working with Melton on Civil War. And on this new film, which we don't have a title, or much about either, he will be co-directing with Melton. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. No, sorry. I'm, I've got my M's mixed up. Mendoza. Sorry, he's, he, he's co-directing with Ray Mendoza. Sorry. Melson is starring in it. Yeah. I'm... But yes. It's it's a um it is you know we don't know a lot but it is being um spun as a another kind of a war type project so I think Civil War will probably tell us a lot about how these two collaborate together and I'm, I think that's dropping pretty soon mm-hmm. okay so um in other news. Right, we are getting a new film from J.J. Perry, and it is called um, Afterburn, right? It's going to be starring Dave Bautista and Samuel L. Jackson, right? And it's based on a graphic novel, right, of the same name. I kind of feel I may have read the graphic novel, but I'm not quite sure. I can't quite remember. Uh, it's set de- a decade after a mass- massive solar flare, which destroyed technology across the globe, leading to social collapse and warlords vying for power. Dum, 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 dum. So a treasure hunter who gets hired to recover the Mona Lisa bef- before a dangerous warlord can steal it for himself. Right? That's the... Uh, the nub of it all. It's being produced by Neil H. Mortis, 
Toby Jaff and Steve Richards. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. Right, Paul Thomas Anderson has got a new film coming. It will be starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Sean Penn, Regina King, Chase Ifinti, right, along with Alana Haim, Tanya Taylor, uh, Wood Harris, Shania McCoyle, right? Um, yeah, I'm not sure we've got a name. No, we don't have a name. Everything is being a little harsh. But that's a good-ass cast, right? So um, I do like a Paul Thomas Anderson film as well. So let's see what happens. Now, we do know that Ryan Coogler and... Um, oh, what's his name? He was uh, Apollo Creed's son. Um Jesus Christ, he was in Black Panther. Like Michael B. Jordan. Yes. They've got a new film coming, right? Um, there was a bidding war for it, and Warner Brothers has picked it up. Right? Kugler wrote it, and he's going to be um directing it, producing it alongside his wife, Zinzi Kugler, and Sev. Ohanian, right, and Jordan will be starring, no other details, but they do work well together, so I'm intrigued, now, some more people are re-teaming up, that's Derek Kolstad and Bob Oldenkirk, right, they work together on Nobody, um, and they're back for a Western Right, called normal. Uh-huh. Olden Kirk will be playing a character called Ulysses. Right, so running away from the demons of his past, he has taken over in taken has taken over in the sleepy town of Normal, following the untimely death of the town's original lawman. When the town's bank is robbed by outsiders, Ulysses uncovers a deep criminal conspiracy at the heart of normal and realizes that everyone in town, be it barman or priest, is in on it. Bum, bum, bum. So, yeah. Uh, it's being directed by Ben Wheatley, right? So, boy, I mean, that's pretty good, right? Mark Provisero is producing alongside um, Odenkirk and Kolstad. I'm about that for sure. Right. Now, did you know this, people? Cillian Murphy has just started a production company, right? It's been called Big Things Films, right? And he has just signed a big deal with Netflix. So, with a big deal, you want content, and they've got it. Their first film is going to be called Steve, right? It's an adaptation of a book called Shy from Max Porter, right? So um, it it's a reimagining of the book, which traces a pivotal 24 hours in the life of Steve, 
a head teacher at a last chance reform school who struggles to keep his students in line while also grappling with his spiraling mental health. Dum, dum, dum. Okay, what else do we have? Boom. So, if you um, didn't get a chance to seeing um, the Erastor, right? Or when that film hits cinemas, don't worry, because the 15th of March is when it will be hitting Disney Plus. So, mark that date down in your calendars, people. Now, another day you might be uh, interested in, and this has just appeared out of nowhere, it would seem, right? Which is kind of crazy because it's hard to keep a secret these days, right? But the 27th of November, people, that is when Moana 2 is hitting. Now, I'm not talking about the live action Moana. I'm talking about a new animated joint. Yes, Moana 2 is coming. Right? So um yeah, it's uh an expansive new voyage with Moana, Maui, and a brand new crew of unlikely seafarers. After receiving an unexpected call from her wayfinding ancestors, Moana must journey to the far seas of Oceania and into dangerous, long-lost waters for an adventure unlike anything she's ever faced. Ooh, Dave Derrick Jr. is um, directing. Uh, the music is going to be from... Abigail Barlow, Emily Bear, um, Op Opitea Fu, and Mark Mancina. So, uh, yeah. I've not yet seen the original, but I hear it's good, right? So, um, yeah, I'll have to check it out before um, November, it would seem. Now, that's not the only news, right? We've got some dates from Disney. So Inside Out 2 will be hitting on the 14th of June. Uh, Zootopia 2 is coming. That will be dropping um, sometime in 2025. In 2026, Frozen 3 is coming. Toy Story 5. And uh some Star Wars films, right? The Mandador Mandalorian and Gogu for sure. Not quite sure about the Daisley Ridley one, but those are all set. So yeah, it's a quiet year for Disney in 2024, but it all seems to be popping off real soon. And let's end with this, because this is really interesting. The Oscars have added a new category, right? It is going to be best achievement in casting, right? So the last time they added a new category was back in 2001. That was best animated feature. So, uh, yeah. Now, 
the academy's ceo bill kramer right and um their president jared yang put out a statement saying casting directors play an essential role in filmmaking and as the academy evolves we are proud to add casting to the disciplines that we recognize and celebrate we congratulate our casting directors branch members on this exciting milestone and their commitment and diligence throughout this process that's real interesting now they should be adding a stunt award right because you know without the talented stunt people we wouldn't be getting some of the films and scenes and memorable moments that we do and especially you know what I mean these poor souls they die a lot of times or get seriously injured and they're never recognized so I, you know, casting, boom, yeah, for sure. But stunt award, that's the big one, people. That's what we really need. More and more recognition for the stunt people. But we have come to the end of part one of episode 300. And people, we have got a part two, a part three, and a part four already for you right three incredible conversations right so make sure you go check them out share with your friends you know I me mean? subscribe to the youtube and uh we will see you shortly people peace